Chapter 6 of Stand By for Mars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sean O'Hara. Stand By for Mars by Kerry Rockwell. Chapter 6. Well, Steve, how's everything going? Captain Steve Strong didn't answer right away. He returned the salute of a space cadet passing on the opposite slidewalk, and then faced Commander Walters, who stood beside him, eyeing him quizzically. Things are shaping up pretty well, Commander he replied finally, with an air of unconcern. The earthworm cadets buckling down to business. Commander Walter's voice matched Strong's nonchalance. Yes, I'd say so, sir. Speaking generally, of course. Strong felt the back of his neck begin to flush as Commander Walters kept eyeing him. And speaking specifically, Steve. Why, um, what do you mean, sir? Let's stop fencing with each other, Steve. Commander Walters spoke kindly, but firmly. What about Manning and Unit 42D? Are those boys learning to work together or not? And I want facts, not hopes. Strong hesitated, trying to word his reply. In these weeks that had followed Tom's fight with Roger in the gym, there had been no further incidents of open warfare. Roger's attitude, once openly defined, had now subsided into a stream of never-ending sarcasm. The sting had been taken out of his attack, and he seemed satisfied merely to annoy. Astro had withdrawn into a shell, refusing to allow Roger to bother him, and only an occasional rumble of anger indicated his true feelings towards the troublesome unit mate. Tom maintained his role of peacemaker, and daily, in many ways, showed his capacity for leadership by stirring his unit mates away from storm-provoking activities. Strong finally broke the silence. It's difficult to answer that question with facts, Commander Walters. Why? insisted Walters. Well, nothing's really happened, answered Steve. You mean nothing since that fight in the gym? Oh, Strong flushed. You know about that. Commander Walters smiled. Black eyes and faces that look like raw beef don't go unnoticed, Steve. Ah, uh, no, sir, was Strong's lame reply. What I want to know is, pursued Walters, did the fight prove anything? Did the boys get it out of their systems, and are they concentrating on becoming a unit? Right now, Commander, they're concentrating on passing their manuals. They realize that they have to work together to get through this series of tests. Why, Dr. Dale told me the other day that she's sure Tom's been giving Roger a few pointers on control deck operation, and one night I found Manning giving Astro a lecture in compression ratios. Of course, Manning's way of talking is a way that would confuse the Venusian more than it would help him, but at least they weren't snarling at each other. Hmm, Walters nodded. Sounds hopeful, but still not conclusive. After all, they have to help each other in the manuals. If one member of the unit fails, it will reflect on the marks of the other two, and they might be washed out, too. Even the deadliest enemies will unite to save their lives. Perhaps, sir, replied Strong. But we're not dealing with deadly enemies now. These are three boys with three distinct personalities who've been lumped together in strange surroundings. It takes time and patience to make a team that will last for years. You may have patience, Steve, but the Academy hasn't the time. Commander Walters was suddenly curt. When does Unit 42D take its manuals? This afternoon, sir, replied Strong. I'm on my way over to the examination hall right now. Very well. I won't take any action yet. I'll wait for the results of the test. Perhaps they will solve both of our problems. See you later, Steve. Turning abruptly, Commander Walters stepped off the slidewalk onto the steps of the administration building and rapidly disappeared from view. Left alone, Strong pondered the commander's parting statement. The implications were clear. If the unit failed to make a grade high enough to warrant the trouble it took keeping it together, it would have to be broken up, or even worse, one or more of the boys would be dismissed from the academy. A few minutes later, Strong arrived in the examination hall, 
A large, barren room with a small door in each of the three walls other than the one containing the entrance. Tom Corbett was waiting in the center of the hall and saluted smartly as Strong approached. Cadet Corbett, reporting for manual examination, sir. Stand easy, Corbett, replied Strong, returning the salute. This is going to be a rough one. Are you fully prepared? I believe so, sir. Tom's voice wasn't too steady. A fleeting smile passed over Strong's lips, and he continued. You'll take the control deck examination first. Manning will be next on the radar bridge, and Astro last on the power deck. They'll be here according to schedule, sir. Very well. Follow me. Strong walked quickly to the small door in the left wall, Tom staying a respectful step behind. When he reached the door, the officer pressed a button in the wall beside it, and the door slid open. All right, Corbett. Inside. Strong nodded towards the interior of the room. The boy stepped in quickly, then stopped in amazement. All around him was a maze of instruments and controls, and in the center, twin pilot's chairs. Captain Strong! Tom was so surprised that he could hardly get the words out. It's... it's a real control deck! Strong smiled. As real as you could make it, Corbett, without allowing the building to blast off. He gestured towards the pilot's chairs. Take your place and strap in. Yes, sir! His eyes still wide with wonder, Tom stepped over to the indicated chair and Strong followed him, leaning casually against the other. He watched the young cadet nervously adjust his seat strap and put a comforting hand on his shoulder. Nervous, Corbett? Yes, sir. Just a little, replied Tom. Don't worry, said Strong. You should have seen the way I came into this room fifteen years ago. My cadet officer had to drag me into the control pilot's seat. Tom managed a fleeting smile. Now, Corbett, Strong's voice became businesslike. As you know, these manual tests are the last tests before actually blasting off. In the past weeks, you cadets have been subjected to every possible examination to discover any flaw in your work that might later crop up in space. This manual operations test of the control board, like Manning's on the radar bridge and Astro's on the power deck, is designed to test you under simulated space conditions. If you pass this test, your next step will be real space. Yes, sir. I warn you, it isn't easy, and if you fail, you personally will wash out, and if the other members of the unit do not get a high enough mark to average out a passing grade for all of you, you fail as a unit. I understand, sir, said Tom. All right, then we'll begin. Your crew is aboard, the airlock is closed. What's the first thing you do? Adjust the air circulating system to ensure standard earth conditions. How do you do that? By pressing this button, which will activate the servo units, they automatically keep the circulating pumps in operation, based on thermostatic readings from the main gauge. Tom pointed to a black clock face with a luminous white hand and numbers. All right, carry on, said Strong. Tom reached over for the huge control board that extended around him for some two feet on three sides. He placed a nervous finger on a small button, waited for the gauge below to register with a swing of the hand, and then released it. All pressure steady, sir. What next? Check the crew, sir, all departments, replied Tom. Carry on, said Strong. Tom reached out and pulled a microphone towards him. All hands, station check, said Tom, and then was startled to hear a metallic voice answer him. Power at ready for lap off. And then another voice. Radar at ready for lap off. Tom leaned back in the pilot's seat and turned to the captain. All stations ready, sir. Good. What next? asked Strong. Ask Spaceport Tower for blast-off clearance. Strong nodded. Tom turned back to the microphone and, without looking, punched a button in front of him. Rocket cruiser! He paused and turned back to Strong. What name do I give, sir? Strong smiled. Noah's Ark. Rocket cruiser Noah's Ark to Spaceport Control. Request blast-off clearance in orbit. Once again, a thin, metallic voice answered and gave the necessary instructions. On and on, through every possible command, condition, or decision that would be placed in front of him, Tom guided his imaginary ship on its imaginary flight through space. 
For two hours he pushed buttons, snapped switches, and jockeyed controls. He gave orders and received them from the thin metallic voices. They answered him with such accuracy, and sometimes with seeming hesitation, that Tom found it difficult to believe that they were only electronically controlled recording devices. Once, when supposedly blasting through space at three-quarters space speed, he received a warning from the radar bridge of an approaching asteroid. He asked for a course change, but in reply only received static. Believing the recording to have broken down, he turned inquiringly to Captain Strong, but received only a blank stare in return. Tom hesitated for a split second, then turned back to the controls. He quickly flipped the teleceiver button on and began plotting the course of the approaching asteroid, ignoring for the moment his other duties on the control deck. When he had finished, he gave the course shift to the power deck and ordered a blast at the starboard jet. He waited for the course change, saw it register on the gauges in front of him, then continued his work. Strong suddenly leaned over and clapped him on the back enthusiastically. Good work, Corbett. That broken recording was put there to intentionally trap you. Not one cadet in twenty would have had the presence of mind you showed in plotting the course of that asteroid yourself. Thank you, sir, stammered Tom. That's all. The test is over. Return to your quarters. He came over and laid a hand on Tom's shoulder. And don't worry, Corbett. While it isn't customary to tell a cadet, I think you deserve it. You've passed with a perfect score. I have, sir? You mean... I really passed? Next step is Manning, said Strong. You've done about as much as one cadet can do. Thank you, sir. Tom could only repeat it over and over. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Dazed, he saluted his superior and turned to the door. Two hours in the pilot's chair had made him dizzy, but he was happy. Five minutes later, he slammed back the sliding door and entered the quarters of 42D with a lusty shout. Meet Space Cadet Corbett, and Earthworm has just passed his Control Deck Manual Operations exam. Astro looked up from Book of Tables on Astrogation and gave Tom a wan smile. Congratulations, Tom, he said and turned back to his book, adding bitterly, But I don't get these tables down by this afternoon for my Power Deck Manual. You're sunk. Say, what's going on here? asked Tom. Where's Roger? Didn't he help you with him? He left, said he had to see someone before taking his Radar Bridge Manual. He helped me a little. But when I asked him a question, he'd just rattle off the answer so fast. Well, I just couldn't follow him. Suddenly slamming the book shut, he got up. Me and these tables, he indicated the book, just don't mix. What's the trouble? Uh, I can get the easy ones about astrogation. They're simple. But it's the ones where I have to combine it with the power deck. Well, I mean, what specifically? asked Tom softly. For instance, I've got to find the ratio for compression of the main firing tubes, using a given amount of fuel, heading for a given destination, and taking a given amount of time for passage. But that's control deck operations as well as astrogation and power, exclaimed Tom. Yeah, I know, answered Astro. But I've still got to be able to do it. If anything happened to you two guys and I didn't know how to get you home, then what? Tom hesitated. Astro was right. Each member of the unit had to depend on the others in any emergency. And if one of them failed... Tom saw why the ground manuals are so important now. Look, offered Tom, suppose we go over the whole thing again together. Maybe you're followed up on the basic concept. Tom grabbed a chair, hitched it close to the desk, and pulled Astro down beside him. He opened the book and began studying the problem. Now look, you have 22 tons of fuel, and considering the position of your ship in space. As the two boys, their shoulders hunched over the table, began reviewing the table of ratios, Across the quadrangle in the examination hall, Roger Manning stood in a replica of a rocket ship's radar bridge and faced Captain Strong. Cadet Manning reporting for manual examination, sir. Roger brought up his arm in a crisp salute to Captain Strong, who returned it casually. Stand easy, Manning, replied Strong. Do you recognize this room? Yes, sir. It's a mock-up of radar bridge. A workable mock-up, cadet. 
Strong was vaguely irritated by Roger's nonchalance in accepting the situation that Tom had marveled at. You will take your manuals here. Yes, sir. On these tests, you will be timed for both efficiency and speed, and you'll use all the tables, charts, and astrogation equipment that you'd find on a spaceship. Your problems are purely mathematical. There are no decisions to make. Just use your head. Strong handed Roger several sheets of paper containing written problems. Roger shuffled them around in his fingers, giving each a quick glance. You may begin any time you're ready, Manning, said Strong. I'm ready now, sir, replied Roger calmly. He turned to the swivel chair located between the huge communications board, the adjustable chart table, and the astrogation prism. Directly in front of him was a huge radar scanner, and to one side and overhead was a tube mounted on a swivel joint that looked like a small telescope, but which was actually an astrogation prism for taking sights on celestial bodies in space. Roger concentrated on the first problem. You are now in the northwest quadrant of Mars, chart M, area 28. You have been notified by the control deck that it has been necessary to jettison three-quarters of your fuel supply. For the last 579 seconds, you have been blasting at one-quarter space speed. The four main drive rockets were cut at 30-second intervals. Making adjustments for degree of slip from each successive rocket cutout, find present position by using cross-fix with Regulus as a starboard fix, Alpha Centauri as your port fix. Suddenly a bell began to ring in front of Roger. Without hesitation, he adjusted the dial that brought the radar scanner into focus. When the screen remained blank, he made a second adjustment, and then a third and a fourth, until the bright white flash of a meter was seen on the scanner. He quickly grabbed two knobs, one in each hand, and twisted them to move two thin plotting lines, one horizontal and one vertical, across the surface of the scanner. Setting the vertical line, he fingered the tabulating machine with his right hand, as he adjusted the second line with his left, thus cross-fixing the meteor. Then he turned his whole attention to the tabulator, ripped off the answer with lightning moves of his fingers, and began talking rapidly into the microphone. Radar bridge control deck, alien body bearing 015, 1.7 degrees over plane of the ecliptic, on intersecting orbit. Change course 2 degrees, hold for 15 seconds and resume our original heading. We'll compensate for change nearer destination. Roger watched the scanner a moment longer. When the rumbling blast of the steering jet sounded in the chamber, and the meter flash shifted on the scanner screen, he returned the problem in his hand. Seven minutes later, he turned to Strong and handed him the answer. Present position by dead reckoning is northwest quadrant of Mars, chart O, area 39, sir, he answered confidently. Strong tried to mask his surprise, but a lifted eyebrow gave him away. And how did you arrive at that conclusion, Manning? I was unable to get a sight on Alpha Centauri due to the present position of Jupiter, sir replied Roger easily. So I took a fix on Earth, allowed for its rotational speed around the sun, and took the cross-fix with Regulus as ordered in the problem. Of course, I included all the other factors of the speed and heading of our ship. That was routine. Strong accepted the answer with a curt nod, motioning for Roger to continue. It would not do, thought Strong, to let Manning know that he was the first cadet in thirty-nine years to make the correct selection of Earth in working up the fix with Regulus, and still have the presence of mind to plot a meteor without so much as half-degree error. Of course, the problem varied with each cadet, but it remained essentially the same. Seven and a half minutes. Commander Walters would be surprised, to say the least, thought Steve. Forty-five minutes later, Roger, as unruffled as if he'd been sitting listening to a lecture from a sound slide, handed in the rest of his papers, executed a sharp salute, and walked out. Two down and one to go, thought Strong, and the toughest one of them all coming up, Astro. The big Venusian was unable to understand anything that couldn't be turned with a wrench. The only thing to prevent Unit 42D from taking Academy Unit Honors over Unit 77K, the unit assigned to Lieutenant Volchek, would be Astro. 
while none of the members of the other units could come up to the individual brilliance of corbett or manning they worked together as a unit helping one another they might make a higher unit rating simply because they were better balanced he shrugged his shoulders and collected the papers it was as much torture for him as it was for any cadet he thought and turned to the door all right astro he said to himself in ten minutes it'll be your turn and i'm going to make it tough back in the quarters of unit forty two d tom and astro still pored over the books and papers on the desk let's try it again astro sighed tom as he hitched his chair closer to the desk you've got thirty tons of fuel you want to find a compression ratio on number one firing tube chamber so what do you do start up the auxiliary burn a little of the stuff and judge what it'll be the big cadet replied that's the way i did it on space freighters but you're not on a space freighter now exclaimed tom you've got to do things the way they want it done here at the academy by the book these tables have been figured out by great minds to help you and you just want to burn a little of the stuff and guess what it'll be tom threw up his hands in disgust seems to me i heard an old saying back in the teen centuries about leading a horse to water but not being able to make him drink drawled roger from the doorway he strolled in and kicked at the crumpled sheets of paper that littered the floor stark evidence of tom's efforts with astro all right wise guy said tom suppose you explain it to him no can do replied roger i tried i explained it to him twenty times this morning while you were taking your control deck manual he tapped his head delicately with his forefinger can't get through too thick astro turned to the window to hide the mist in his eyes lay off roger snapped tom he got up and walked over to the big cadet come on astro we haven't got much time you're doing the examination hall in a few minutes it's no good tom i just can't understand that stuff astro turned and faced his unit mates his voice charged with sudden emotion just fifteen minutes on the power deck of anything with rockets in her and i'll run her from here to the next galaxy i-i can't explain it but when i look at those motors i can read em like you read an astrogation chart roger or you the gauges on the control deck tom but i just can't get those ratios out of a book i gotta put my hands on those motors touch them i mean really touch em then i know what to do as suddenly as he started he stopped and turned leaving tom and roger staring at him startled by this unusual outburst cadets stand to roared a voice from the doorway the three cadets snapped to attention and faced the entrance take it easy earthworms said tony richards a tall cadet with closely cut black hair and a lazy smiling face stood in the doorway lay off richards said tom we haven't time for gags now astor's going to take his power deck manual in a few minutes and we're cramming with him okay okay don't blow your jets said richards i just wanted to see if there are any bets in which unit would cop honors in the manuals this afternoon i suppose you think your unit forty seven k will finish on top drawled roger i like to put all the galley demerits we have in seventy seven k against yours with astro on our team complained roger what's the matter with astro asked richards from what i hear he's hot stuff it wasn't a compliment but a sharp dig made with a sly smile astro balled his huge hands into fists astro said roger is tight that can smell out trouble on any power deck but today he came down with a cold now i'm afraid no bet richards i'll give you two to one richards offered nothing doing not even at five to one not with astro richards grinned nodded and disappeared roger turned to face the hard stare of tom that was the dirtiest sellout i've ever seen manning tom growled sorry corbett said roger i only bat on sure things that's okay with me manning said astro 
but I'm afraid you sold yourself a hot rocket, so I'm going to pass. <laughs> Who are you kidding? Roger laughed and sprawled on his bunk. Astro took a quick step forward, his fist clenched, his face a mask of burning anger, but Tom quickly jumped in front of him. You'll be late for the exam, Astro, he shouted. Get going or it'll count against your mark. <laughs> That's a few more points, more or less, where you're going to fail anyway, snorted Roger from the bunk. Again, Astro started to lunge forward, and Tom braced himself against the Venusian's charge. But suddenly the burly cadet stopped. Disengaging Tom's restraining arms, he spoke coldly to the sneering boy on the bed. I'm going to pass the exam, Manning. Get that? I'm going to pass, and then come back here and beat your head off. Turning on his heel, he stalked out of the room. Tom immediately wheeled to face Roger, fire in his eyes, and the arrogant cadet, sensing trouble, jumped to his feet to meet him. What's the idea of giving Astro a hard time? demanded Tom. Cool off, Corbat, replied Roger wearily. You're fusing your tubes, you're so hot. You bet I'm hot. Hot enough to blast you. Again. Tom deliberately spat out the last word. Roger flushed and brought his fists up quickly as though to charge in, then suddenly dropped them again. He turned to the door slowly and walked out. Go blow your jets. His voice drifted back to Tom as he disappeared. Tom stood there, looking at the empty door, almost blind with rage and frustration. He was failing in the main job assigned to him, that of keeping the unit on an even keel and working together. How could he command a crew out in space if he couldn't keep the friction of his own unit under control? Slowly, he left the room to wait for Astro in the recreation hall, where the results of the manuals would be announced. He thought of Astro, now probably deep in his exam, and wondered how bad it would be for him. Then another thought crossed his mind. Roger had said nothing of his own test, and neither he nor Astro had thought to inquire. He shook his head. No matter where the unit placed in the manuals, it just couldn't stay together. End of chapter 6